Matthew chapter 27 this morning. We're nearing the end of our study of Matthew and excited for what God has for us before we make it to the end. We are in the Passion Week of our Lord Jesus, as you're well familiar if you're part of our church family. And if you're visiting with us, I trust we can catch you up to speed and um, minister to your heart through the Word of God, which is powerful and alive. We believe it is inspired by God. It is without error because of that inspiration. And uh, we have the privilege of having it translated into our own language, preserved for us, and uh, the opportunity to study it, the privilege and the, the obligation to study the Word of God together this morning. So we're going to do that. Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to begin our reading in verse number 11, and we'll read the portion that we'll study this morning, then we'll pray and ask God to help us as we study His Word. You can follow along as I read out loud for us this morning, Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Verse number 15, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, And what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. Notice verse number 23. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then He released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered Him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before Him. And they stripped Him, and put a scarlet robe on Him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on His head, and put a reed in His right hand, and kneeling before them, Before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. These are the words of God for our consideration this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its living power that goes where nothing else can go, that does what nothing else can do. 
the instrument that breathes life into dead hearts, the instrument, the tool that you use through your Spirit's power to unscale the blind eye and to open the deaf ears to the glories of your Son and the good news of His work on behalf of sinners. So, fathers, we come to this text this morning. Grant us understanding, we pray. Help us to be moved freshly by these accounts. Help us to grasp the significance of what we're reading and studying. Save us from indifference and apathy. Save us from a passionless, dry, external version of following Christ. Grant us hearts that are consumed with affections that are focused on Your Son for the glory of Your name. May He be all in all. May we recognize with Paul that it is for Him and through Him and to Him that all glory must be given. Now, in our service together, and forever. We know that Your Spirit is the one who works this power to understand and we pray that he would do that now that he would teach us and guide us in the truth we confess that your word is truth and so we submit ourselves now under it asking that you would enable us all to grasp its riches for the glory of your name as we're shaped into the character and the form of your son may we look more like jesus because we've been together studying from his word this morning we pray in his name amen Well, if you're new with us or forgetful, as I am, let's refresh where we are in Matthew chapter 27. We're only hours now from the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed, not as I will, but as you will. Where Jesus requested of the Father if there was some way that the cup of suffering, of the wrath that was coming to Him could be passed over or could be done without And yet he submitted himself, even in that request, to carry and to drink the cup to the last drop. Only hours have gone by. Jesus has been betrayed by Judas to the Jewish authorities, the Sanhedrin. There has been a mock trial in the middle of the night, an illegal trial of Jesus condemning him to death by the Sanhedrin. In the morning there has been a showy public trial where the verdict of the death sentence was declared so that there was legality attached to the condemnation of Jesus. Judas, filled with regret and guilt for his betrayal of the innocence of Christ, returns to the Sanhedrin seeking to undo what he has done, leaving the money that he was paid and taking upon himself the removal of his guilt through suicide, never coming to a saving repentance and faith in the person of Jesus who He betrayed. And the Jews have turned Jesus over for the sake of His crucifixion to the Roman authorities. Notice that the Jews could not have carried out capital punishment apart from the Roman sanction that they're seeking from the governor whose name is Pilate. So we find ourselves in Matthew's record in the headquarters of the governor before Pilate. And Jesus is being rejected again and again and again. And yet He has surrendered just hours before 
acting in substitution for sinners. Every word of the record further proves that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ. Judas has betrayed Him. The Jews have condemned Him. They have betrayed Him to the Roman authorities, and the Roman authorities will condemn Him to die by crucifixion. But do not misunderstand. Jesus is giving His life. He is substituting His life for us. He is rejected so that we might be as sinners accepted by God. Matthew's intent is clearly to mark for us a a convincing, an airtight case for Jesus as the Messiah. And even in these final moments, He is confirmed as the promised One from heaven. As I've been studying this passion section, I have been reminded again and again and again, and even this morning I was moved again by the lyrics of a song that we sing often here, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. As we study this rejection and condemnation of Jesus, be thoughtful of these lyrics. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. So as we study this morning this rejection by the Roman authorities and the sacrifice of Jesus' life, be aware that it is our sin that is holding Him here. The rejection of Jesus is for the acceptance of sinners. And we noticed last week in verses 1-10 through of Matthew chapter 27 that the rejection of Jesus was the betrayal of God's perfect prophet. It was the, the sacrifice of God's perfect prophet. And as we continue in verse number 11 all the way through to verse number 31, we find a second proof of the messianic ministry of Jesus. The rejection of Jesus was not only the betrayal of God's perfect prophet, but it was also the condemnation of God's silent Lamb. Matthew reveals to us, exposes us to, the silent lamb who is condemned in our place. The rejection of Jesus was the betrayal of God's perfect prophet, but it was also the condemnation of God's silent lamb. The silence of Jesus screams in these paragraphs. Matthew makes it clear That Jesus is not talking. That's meaningful to us because that is a direct fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7, which describes the suffering servant silently going to his slaughter, fully aware of what was coming. Jesus silently surrenders himself to this condemnation. This is our hope, this is our Savior. So this morning we'll see the three aspects or the three stories of silence here in these accounts recorded for us under the inspiration of the Spirit by Matthew. We'll see Jesus silent before Pilate, silent before the crowd, and then silent before the soldiers. The rejection of Jesus was the condemnation of God's silent lamb. 
And we'll see that first in Jesus' silence before Pilate. Notice verses 11 through 14 as we pick up where we were, we were studying last week. Verses 1 and 2 recount for us that Jesus has been betrayed by the Sanhedrin. They cannot come into the court of Pilate. Remember, this is the Passover feast. This is a Sabbath time. This is a very special ceremonial time for the nation of Israel. So to come into the presence of Pilate's court would have condemned or made unclean these religious leaders. So Jesus stands in isolation before Pilate. The Jews waiting to hear from Pilate as he addressed them in his courtyard. But here Jesus stands in the private dwelling before Pilate. In verse number 11, the question is asked to Jesus. The irony is thick. The Jews are not present because they don't want to be ceremonially unclean while they sacrifice the Lamb of God. And the irony of the question that's asked of Jesus is is not lost on us. Pilate turns to Jesus and as he stands before the governor, the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he is. And Jesus affirms it. And the only words that Matthew records for us taking place between Jesus and Pilate are, are these words. You have said so. Now John chapter 18 and 19 remind us that there was a, a bigger conversation that took place. Matthew is streamlined. He's condensed. And I believe it's to emphasize for us the sacrificial nature of the silence of Jesus. Jesus simply affirms that that title that Pilate has just spoken is accurate. In John chapter 18, if you have time to study it perhaps this week, in verse number 33, Jesus explains that His kingdom is not of this world. He is not acting in treason against Caesar because He is of a heavenly kingdom. And He tells that to Pilate. And He and Pilate have this interaction before Pilate responds to this sentence recorded in verse number 11. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, when the accusations were read that they were leveling against him, Pilate said to him, Do you hear how many things they testify against you? Do you understand what's at stake? Do you realize that your life hangs in the balance and I, as the governor, have the power to take or save your life? And notice what Matthew records of Jesus' response. Oh, if this were some tragedy that had been unplanned, if this this was just an injustice, and it is of the most severe kind, and yet the justice of God is being played out in a substitute, because the substitute gives no answer. He is silent, because He is the silent Lamb of God, who is not dying without a cause, He is surrendering His life as substitute for my sin. For your sin. Verse 14 says, But Jesus gave Him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Isaiah 53.7 was being fulfilled in the presence of Pilate in the silent defense offered by Jesus. In any other scenario, silence on the part of one accused is assumed to be a sign of guilt. 
I grew up with the slogan in my house, silence is approval. My dad would say, be a man. If something's wrong and it's happening, speak up. Stop it. Because your silence is merely approval of the circumstances going on around you. Silence is often seen within a court setting to be an obvious recognition of guilt. But here, this silence is no recognition of guilt, for this is the innocent Son of God. This silence is an intentional fulfillment of prophecy. This silence is a signpost to the sacrifice that is being made by someone who does not deserve to die, but is doing so in the place of sinners. So as we read these dark words, and we recount these dark hours, we are reading the good news of one who stood in for sinners who repent and believe. Jesus was not only silent before Pilate, He was also silent before the crowd. Pick up in verse number 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Messiah, Christ, Christos? So what's taking place here is a tradition that's really important at this point in history. And, and we lose some of this if we, if we don't have appreciation for history. Pilate, at this point, I believe this is 33 A.D., Pilate at this point has already created major problems in Jerusalem. In fact, he has stolen money that was set apart, Corbin, if you're familiar with your New Testament, money that was set apart for the purpose of of the work of God. He took that money and he used it to build an aqueduct. He, He defamed, he dishonored the temple by using money set apart for God and for the care of those in need and taking it for his own economical and political structures to be established. It caused a riot. And understandably so, the people who had given that money were furious that it had been stolen and used for the purpose that they had never intended. And so the riot broke out, and Pilate assigned soldiers from his battalion who were going to meet in just a moment to go into the crowd of rioters and to kill them. And they did. The bloodshed was further disgrace upon the Roman Empire, and Caesar was very unhappy about the situation in Jerusalem. He had passed the command down to Pilate that said, Do not put up Roman shields as decoration within Jerusalem. And yet Pilate ignored that command, and he put up shields, which resulted in Pilate's head soldier being killed, executed, or the disregard for the command of Caesar. So at this point, at this feast, right here, right now, this transfer is as important as it has ever been in the life of Pilate the governor. And his making sure that this crowd of people stays happy, stays calm, is at the top of his priority list. And it's here that we find a silent lamb going to the slaughter for the sake of sinners. Pilate was walking on eggshells with the Jews, which is why he ignores the, the warning of his wife. It's why he ignores his own conscience in knowing that there is no crime that has been committed. This is a man who is innocent in any crime against the government. 
And in his silence, Jesus takes this condemnation from the crowd. Barabbas was a zealot. He was a murderer and he led the revolutionary party within the nation of Israel. He was a a crowd favorite, but he was a dangerous man. And in this case, he was being presented as the alternative to the Christ, the Messiah. Pilate purposefully making jabs at the Jews. That's what Matthew explains in verse number 18. For Pilate knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. He's the Christ, is he not? Don't you want your Christ? They would have nothing of the one who was in fact their Christ, their Messiah. It's fascinating when you read verse number 15 down through verse number 23 and you're asked if you were in a, in a classroom setting and we were having a Bible study and our men's Bible study on, on Tuesday mornings, uh, shameless commercial, 6 o'clock, guys be there, we're studying Ephesians verse by verse. We're going to observe the text, we're going to interpret the text, we're going to cross Examine the text with the text of Scripture, and we're going to apply the text. If you were called into some kind of uh, Bible study program where you needed to observe what is here in verse number 15 down through verse number 23, you would have to observe that what is here is silence from Jesus. It's what's missing. John chapter 19 tells us that Jesus has already been beaten and dressed up as a king. He's already been presented to the mob with a crown of thorns on his head. And he's already been presented with with some kind of military robe draped over his shoulders to mock him as a king. And in all of the mockery, the crowd is incensed and screams for his destruction. This silence on his part is no accident. This is not suicide by Roman government. This is sacrificial submission to the plan of God to rescue sinners like us, like me. Jesus is substituting Himself. He is being rejected so that we might be accepted. Now we noticed this last week, but let's not miss it again this morning. Pilate sees that he's getting nowhere with the screams of let him be crucified, gaining momentum, and a riot about to break out. You can understand historically why Pilate is quick to grab the basin of water, put it in front of the people, ceremonially wash his hands in front of them and say, I've got nothing to do with this. His conscience is at least alert to the fact that he's about to condemn to death someone who does not deserve to die. And the people scream, His blood be on us and on our children. Those are just, those are dramatic words. This is a startling cry from the frenzied mob staring at Jesus and likely staring at Barabbas. And though guilt is not passed down through generations, the consequence of this rejection has rested upon the nation of Israel. It's been tragic. They, as branches on the vine, Romans chapter 11, have been cut off. And the riches of grace have been poured out to us who are Gentiles. We've been grafted in. This blood has been upon them. Peter would declare that the blood was on their heads at Pentecost. Just a short time 
later. They willingly take upon themselves the guilt of the crucifixion of Jesus. And Matthew records it. Matthew, who is a Jew by birth, is not here promoting some kind of anti-Jewish literature. This should not well within us some thoughts of hatred towards ethnic Jews, but rather a recognition that everything that's happening here is a part of the design and plan of God. And that what we're experiencing as we study these last moments of Jesus' life is no accident. And it is not apart from the sovereignty of God. In fact, it is underneath of the sovereignty of God. Jesus is suffering this rejection so that we as sinners might be accepted by God. This is substitution. Even the rejection by the Jews is for our benefit. And their restoration in the coming days when God will reunite with the Jewish nation and restore the people of the nation of Israel under His name will be for our benefit and blessing. This is all what we looked at in the end of our study from Romans 11 last week. So Jesus is silent before Pilate and He is silent before the crowd. And verse number 26 stands as a bridge and a conclusion in Matthew's record. Then Pilate released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered Him to be crucified. It's here in verse number 26 that we pivot in our narrative. Because in chapter 20, if you remember, flip back just a couple of pages to chapter 20, Jesus told the disciples, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn Him to death, and deliver Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged, that is, scourged, and crucified, and He will be raised on the third day. We are in the middle of the fulfillment of this prophecy. Without graphic detail, it is appropriate to understand what scourging is. Because there is nothing within our culture that could ready us for the reality of scourging. Jesus' hands were tied to a post, bending Him so that His skin on His back was tightened. His muscles would be stretched out. And a Roman soldier, or perhaps two, because often they would stand on either side of the prisoner so that the blows would never end. There would be a constant blow upon the prisoner's back. They would whip the prisoner with a short-handled whip with tails coming off of it. Leather strips. And in the leather strips were tied bits of bone, ceramic, and glass. Many times, scourging killed the prisoner. Often, prisoners were recounted historically as coming out of scourging with organs exposed from their backs. Tissue and muscles hanging open. And Jesus here is scourged. And Matthew makes no fanfare. He says he released Barabbas, he scourged Jesus, and he transferred him to the crucifixion. But let's not forget that the silent lamb is being slaughtered in our place. What is taking place here is by no accident. Every blow of the whip was for my sin. For your sin. Every silent moment that Jesus experienced this excruciating brutality 
was a silent moment for us. We're so familiar. It's just so familiar. Our last week, we were just way too familiar with the gospel. I was way too familiar with the gospel. Interestingly, in verse number 26, we transition to Jesus being silent before the soldiers, and the soldiers delay in their obedience. For the second time now, Jesus will be scorned and mocked and dressed up in mock attire as a king. The soldiers are given Jesus as the prisoner and they're told to crucify Him. And they delay in that for their own entertainment. And Jesus is not only silent before Pilate, He's not silent only before the crowd, He is now silent before soldiers. We're taking every advantage of their opportunity for entertainment with this prisoner. So while Pilate delivered Jesus to be crucified, the soldiers at headquarters, the battalion, perhaps 600 of them, delay their obedience to that command for their chance to torture Jesus. Then the soldiers in verse 27 of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and they put on a scarlet robe or put a scarlet robe on him. And they twisted together a crown of thorns. Perhaps you've seen a crab apple tree. It's the best thing I think in our country, in our culture that I can give you as an example of the thorn. This is not a rose bush. These are thorns. They are they're like nails. And they weave them together. They place them upon his head. And they put a reed. The best I can describe this reed to you would be a broom handle. They put a broom handle in his hand. And all of this is in the silence of Jesus. Because he is going silently to the slaughter as a lamb to be slain. Not as some accident, but by the direct design of his father in an obedience to his father. He is humiliated in his incarnation and he follows in humble obedience even to death on a cross. And that's exactly what we're reading. Brothers and sisters, this has everything to do with our lives. This has everything to do with today, not just heaven in the future. This changes us now. His rejection was for our reconciliation, our redemption. This is the buying us out of slavery happening on the pages of Scripture recorded for us. I'm reminded when I read of this account of the soldiers with him, what Pilate said in verse number 23. Why? What evil has he done? The answer is, he has done no evil. He's doing this because of my evil. And your evil. For the glory of his Father's name. Verse 29. The soldiers take this as far as you would expect them to. Kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail! 
King of the Jews. Unaware that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that in fact He is Lord. He is King. He is Master. This is the King of every King. This is the Lord of every Lord. This is the One whom they kneel before. Unaware in their blindness and in their sin. That they're kneeling before the only substitute for sinners. A silent lamb going to the slaughter. For the second time, Jesus is spit upon. They spit on Him in verse 30 and they take the reed and they strike Him on the head. That just seems kind of rote. Almost almost read that without feeling it. They took the broom handle out of His hands and they smashed the crown of thorns into His head. And Jesus screamed out insults and cursed them and told them that they would pay for what they were doing and that He was innocent and that He didn't deserve this and that He was no enemy of Rome and that they should stop it now and He wanted an appeal. He had witnesses that could say to the opposite of what He was being accused of. And He begged them for mercy. And He told them to stop. He didn't say anything. He was silent. He was silent for our sin. It was my sin that created this scenario. He wouldn't stop. He wouldn't He wouldn't put an end to it because He would obey the Father's will and He would drink the cup for the salvation of sinners who would declare His glory for eternity and would sing of the grace of God, which is a song that the angels will never sing. Only sinners can sing of the grace of God. And here it is being won for us by Jesus. He's silent before Pilate. He's silent before the crowd. And He's silent before the soldiers. Do you see your salvation? Do you see your sanctification? Do you love Him? Do you long for the fellowship that He offers us? How can we live as if what we see around us and the culture in which we live is the only existence we will ever know? How could we not long for the One who is seated in the heavens, who's at the right hand of the Father because He has paid the full price, He has completed His work, He's been raised victorious, and He's ascended to the right hand? How can we not live in the mindset of heavenly realities as Paul calls us to in Colossians 3, 1 and 2? How could we ever think that we would be so heavenly minded that we would be of no earthly good? We are so earthly minded, we are of no heavenly good. Our substitute Savior suffers as a servant in our place. And we live for money? We live for possessions? We love our own glory? so convicted by reading and studying these accounts because what's coming home is the worth of this sacrifice there is infinite value here there is nothing more worthy than our savior 
to receive our worship, our obedience, our allegiance, our sacrifice is no sacrifice when the one we serve is this one who has done eternal work on our behalf. I've been praying that God would help me not to try to make you amazed, but that He would open you up to be amazed. Spirit of God, help us to be amazed even right now, I pray in the name of Jesus. So Jesus was rejected so that we might be accepted as sinners before God. So how do we obey Matthew chapter 27, verse number 11 down through verse number 31? Verse 31 concludes this section and it moves us into the center of human history. They strip him back down of his robe and they put his own clothes on him. They give him the cross beam that he would carry out to the post that was already established. He carried the beam that his hands would be nailed to. And they prepare him to be led to Golgotha to be crucified. What must I do with Matthew 27, 11 to 31? I must worship and follow full of joy and, and love for this Savior. I must follow Him. There is no other logical conclusion than to see the Savior King of Heaven giving His life in my place than for me to obey, to love, to be overwhelmed with allegiance to this only worthy King. This is what we read at the beginning of our service. Who could have ever thought of this? No one but the deep mind of God could develop such a wondrous plan for the praise of His glorious grace. So we offer up our lives as willing vessels, which is a reasonable, spiritual service. We are not conformed to the world. We're not shaped by our culture. We're not shaped by what is around us. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind with the truth of God's Word. This substitution affects every single part of our lives, brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you are not a follower of Christ, if you have never repented of your sin and your own pursuit of righteousness and turned in faith, believing that this one is the substitute for sinners, the Son of God, perfectly obedient to the law of God, dying and bearing the full wrath of God, and being raised in the full victory of God over death and sin, you must bow your knee to this Savior. Or you will be thrust down in judgment, confessing that He is in fact Lord in an eternity separated from Him. So first concluding thought is we must worship and follow our loving Savior who silently gave His life as a lamb. Another concluding obedience would be to take heart in your suffering. There are several that I've talked to just this morning that are suffering right now. In this building, suffering. And there are those who are not with us because they're suffering. And there are those that are not with us that you know that are suffering. If you're suffering this morning, take heart in the suffering of your Savior. 
Because it was through this suffering. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10 tells you that it was through this suffering that His work was made perfect. He was completed in this suffering. Are you suffering? Run to your suffering Savior. The same God of heaven who ordained the plan for His Son to come and suffer has ordained suffering in your life and He intends to complete you, to work through that suffering in making you like your Savior. Are you suffering? You have good fellowship. You have a Savior who suffered beyond what you could ever imagine. Who sympathetically hears you cry out for help and mercy. Are you suffering? God is at work. And He's doing a good work through suffering. We must worship and follow this suffering Savior. But we are also comforted as followers in knowing the suffering of our Savior. Romans chapter 8, verse number 28 through 30. They're familiar to us. All things work together for God or for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And often we, we stop right there and we think that's, that's good. Something good's going to happen out of this. There's a silver lining in every dark cloud. But when we keep reading, we find out that those who have been predestined have been set apart to be made like Jesus. So the the purpose for which we have been called is to bear resemblance to Jesus. So in your suffering, there is one immovable good purpose and there are others at work. But that one immovable purpose is for you to look like your Savior. To bear His patience. To bear His, His suffering. Paul was well acquainted with suffering and he was well acquainted with the fellowship of suffering with Jesus. Love this Savior and lean upon this One who has suffered in your place. Let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 53, shall we? We should be quick. This should be a worn out portion of our Bible. Isaiah chapter 53. Let's notice two things in these familiar verses. One, the recipient of what we're reading being Jesus Himself as fulfillment of this prophecy. And two, the beneficiaries being those of us who are sinners saved by grace. Granted the blessing of justification, of being made right, legally right with God through this substitution in our place. Let's read it together. Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 3. Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. 
he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The rejection of Christ was the betrayal of God's perfect prophet. And it was the condemnation of God's silent lamb. There is no way we can interact with these truths and be neutral in response to what we've studied. Indifference is further rejection of Jesus. Worship, allegiance, obedience, affections for Christ are the only appropriate response. Father, do that work in us. We desire to fulfill the purpose for which we have been created and redeemed. To make much of You. To magnify Your character through the life lived in praise toward Your Son. And we're so cold. We're so familiar. We're so apathetic. We're unmoved even in studying His suffering and rejection. There's only a, a glimpse of, 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 of awareness in us of what is taking place. The miracle has lost its luster for so many of us. Rip us back to a first time appreciation for the silent, suffering Lamb who is substituting Himself for us. Make us useful with our co-workers. Stop us from our ceaseless complaining. Griping about our lives as if we live under our own sovereignty. As if You have not ordained for us what is ahead of us and what is before us. For Your glory and for our good so that we might resemble Your Son. Shape us with the Gospel Today, Father, please, please, may Your Spirit take His Word and go deep in us as a church family. So that we are not merely church-going, moral, American people. But so that we are radical, consumed, passionate, relentless followers of Jesus from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Join us to the ranks of Your people who are called by Your name through the substitutionary work of Your Son. We confess we are only accepted by You, Father. We are only in Your throne room even now speaking to You because Your perfect Son who is at Your right hand has earned us our place before You. His obedience has been credited to our accounts. Our sin and guilt has been placed upon Him in this suffering at the cross. And His resurrection power has been granted to us in victory over the power of sin and the power of death. 
And we long for the return when we will experience even the removal of the presence of sin and death. So shape us. Comfort the suffering with their suffering Savior. Father, open their eyes to the fellowship that they have access to in Christ. May all of these things and more that You are doing in the hearts of Your people and the work that You do in miraculously opening the hearts of those who are not Your people so that they see Christ and love Christ. May this all be turned back for praise to Your name. We begin that praise even now, saying glory to Your name. May Your Son be exalted as we depend upon Your Spirit this week. We ask in your precious name. Amen.